We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time. It's time. for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the wonderful studio this evening by Ross Feingold. Good to be back in the studio, Gavin. And on the telephone from Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Hi, from the warm southern parts of the island. And tonight we'll be discussing referendums, because we have to, because it's coming up very time soon. The Cabinet vowing to improve public security following a string of violent incidents. International lawmakers lobbying for Taiwan's participation in Interpol. And local celeb Barbie Xu and her Chinese husband Wang Xiaofei announcing their divorce. But we'll begin with the breaking news when we all woke up this morning. That being another delegation of US Congress people visiting Taiwan and arriving at Taipei Sungshan Airport on a US military aircraft. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when another delegation came. That was a rather partisan delegation, however, all Republicans. This delegation, however, was bipartisan Ross. Yeah, so we're repeating this cloak and dagger, you know, sudden arrival of U.S. congressmen, just like the last time, right? So news began to leak out a few hours before, just like last time. Uh, So we seem to have now moved into this uh, mode of trying to whip up as much media attention as possible by making it somewhat secretive and sudden military plane flies into Songshan Airport. Um, Whereas before, uh, when congressmen visited or parliamentarians from other countries, it wasn't done this way. Again, I I, I think it it was cute the first time, but I hope this doesn't become a pattern. And uh, Representative Nancy Mace, one of the members of the delegation, a Republican from South Carolina, who, who... has a military background. She was the first woman to graduate from the Corps of Cadets at, at the Citadel uh, Military School. Um, she tweeted out that she arrived in the Republic of Taiwan. Now, I'm sure the listeners know that the official name of the country, as of this moment, is still the Republic of China. So, uh, Representative Mace, if you're listening, or your staff, or AIT, if you briefed her before the trip or didn't, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, this kind of ignorance is just not helpful. You, you got to get the name of the country correct or just say Taiwan like most people did. But to say Republic of Taiwan or right Republic of Taiwan in a tweet, it, it, it's, it, it just shows a lack of knowledge about uh, where you're going. So, Michael, uh, possibly a big ding dong there or maybe possibly deliberate. Uh, you know, as much as I would like to think that that's strategy, I, I don't believe it. I'm going with Ross on this. Um, I think she's just either uh, uh, misinformed or she's deliberately trying to be provocative. And in either case, uh, it's not what we need at this point. Uh, it might make a few diehard uh, independent supporters smile today, but it does nothing really for, uh, for Taiwan or for relations between any of the, 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 the people involved. And of course, Ross, this brings back to... St- to something that China said in recent weeks, where it basically said Beijing is just sick and tired of certain Americans trying to stir the pot when it comes to cross-strait issues. Well, I mean, we have to put that in context, I, and I would put it more in the historical context and not not just uh, recent interactions between the U.S. or what Biden said, didn't say, was walked back by the White House or what uh, Secretary of State Blinken says. Some of the other things we're going to talk about like today, like Taiwan's participation in, in international organizations. So China's always been upset when there's any kind of 
interaction between the United States and Taiwan or between other countries in Taiwan. And, and as we often discuss, you know, visits by parliamentarians or, or in the U.S. case, members of the U.S. Congress is very routine and it has been so for decades. And uh, part of the, the game is that whenever this kind of interaction occurs, uh, China will issue statements from the lectern, the, the spokespersons of, of the various government agencies, the, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Taiwan Affairs Office, etc. Uh, so the, it, it, again, it's, it's just part of the game to hear uh, China say those things. And Michael, do you think maybe this congresswoman should maybe go back to her social media page and sort of take back what she said? Um, I don't know about that, but I can uh, pretty much bet that she will not do that. Um, <laughs> so we'll leave it well, there. Well, remember in the summer, though, there was the American senator who wrote that there's 30, on his Twitter, uh, there, that there's 30,000 U.S. troops in Taiwan, and then a few hours later, they did change that. So. Yeah, well, that's very factually inaccurate, so yeah. <laughs> Is Republic of Taiwan any more factually inaccurate? Uh, yeah, I, I, I take your point. <laughs> Yes, maybe they should give them an atlas before they get on the aeroplane. Well, that, this way they'll know um, if the situation arises. Hopefully they'll know to send the, the troops to Taiwan, not to Thailand. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, Ross's point is also correct. The only thing that China would not carp about would be if they had landed and said, I've just landed in Taiwan province of China. So barring that, China's never going to be happy. It could happen. Well, it could happen in the, with these secret visits. They might be a bit muffuddled with the jet lag, Ross. Well, the, the, and that, that's an excellent point. And, and again, that goes to what I said earlier about keeping these things in context. So congressmen um, during an American holiday, in this case Thanksgiving, they went to, uh, according to news reports, they went to Japan, they went to Korea, they visited U.S. troops there. And, and that's very typical during a holiday period like Thanksgiving to show their support for the troops and their families who are posted overseas and uh, to include Taiwan on a regional trip. So the point I'm trying to make is they didn't, uh, because of some emergency situation, suddenly get on a plane in Washington on Tuesday and fly to the other side of the world, right? They had planned this trip to, to visit Asia, to visit American troops, and they added Taiwan to the itinerary, something that's happened many, many times before. And again, I don't see the reason or the need for this kind of secrecy suddenly arrive, you know, so that the, it looks, it, to me, it comes across like like uh, Taiwan government wanted to get that, that extra air of secrecy and, oh, you know, they really needed to come here and it was a sudden decision. Um, it, it's just not necessary. Yeah, you're not flying into Baghdad in the middle of the Iraq war. Moving on now, and government officials on Wednesday continue to defend their policies towards U.S. pork imports, nuclear power, a liquid natural gas terminal project in Taoyuan, and referendums should be held. They once again faced off in the third of five televised forums that have been organised in the run-up to the December 18th referendums themselves. Now, two more of those televised events will be taking place on December the 2nd and the 11th. But this past weekend, the DPP took its vote-no tour to southern Taiwan, and government leaders held a huge rally in Gao as they seek to dissuade voters from casting their ballots in favour of the motions. Now, the KMT has also been out in force in the city to drum up support for its yes votes in the referendum, with the party's Kaohsiung chapter touring the city's district this week, seeking support for the four motions set to be put to the ballot. So, of course, Michael, you're in Kaohsiung. How is the referendum mood in Kaohsiung? And is there any mood, or is it just like nobody really is paying any attention to this whatsoever? Well, you said uh, huge rallies. I'm not sure if I missed uh, one of these rallies, but the one that I witnessed uh, had a crowd estimate size of about 3,500. 
And from my viewpoint, at least, it seems that the majority of these people were elderly uh, people who had time to take out of their schedule and come to one of these things. It certainly didn't have the feeling of, say, a, you know, a presidential election or a major thing. And, you know, I've been I've been trying to talk to as many people as possible. And I, I mean, as, as anyone from a taxi driver to one of the parents that goes to the to the same school and my kids and just ask them how they feel about it and i'm getting just this wide range of 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 answers some people are saying that they just couldn't be bothered to vote and uh, one guy was actually a little bit upset and said we elect people to make decisions and you do this and you do this and you then you tell us that you want us to vote on whether or not you, this is your job and he was uh, you know uh, I, I think he has a, a reasonable point then uh, you have other people saying that they want to vote but they're not exactly sure which way they should vote so it is good that both sides have managed to make it very clear that so the blue side wants all yes right and the green side wants all no at least it's not split up also it's good that the referendum questions are not confusing in the way that they have been in the past it used to be something like do you think we should not should we you know and you you wouldn't even know how to how to answer the question so it's um it's definitely not a referendum fever down here and i have my questions as to whether or not the threshold will be passed and i wonder if the weather on that day could be a factor in determining whether or not you get that uh, magical number to make them valid uh, despite michael's uh, observations about the crowd size or, or who the, who they were, who the attendees were. I think it's fair to say, though, when when these politicians are up on the podium advocating for for one side or the other of the referendums, the DPP, the Minjindang, they, they still do a better job at this uh, for the most part. Yeah, the mm. Guomindang has some people on their team who are um, good public speakers and, and can inspire some enthusiasm. But uh, at least my observation is when you see Vice President Lai Qingde up there and Su, or Premier Su Jun Chang up there on the podium talking about these issues and uh, why they think voters should vote against the referendums, there still seems to be more of a passion there. Now, maybe it's a product of they're in government already uh, and they have a, a, a wider view of the issues and what might be good or bad for Taiwan. Uh, I think a uh, part of it is they know that in 2018 they did a terrible job of advocating uh, for or against referendums. The DPP and the government, Thai administration, kind of took the view that this is all driven by society, private groups. You know, we're not going to get involved. It's wonderful. Referendums are wonderful. Let the people have their referendums. And, and then the results were, um, in, in most cases, in contravention with the government policy and it created a big headache for them. Uh, so there's clearly more enthusiasm, again, in my view. Uh, however, you have to balance that against the, the popularity or, or, or lack of um, on each issue. And, and something like the pork, it, again, it's just so easy. Like, do you want to eat poisoned pork or not? <laughs> I mean, of course, people are going to say, say no, even if the pork really isn't poisoned. But uh, it, it's easier for to give people that view just because uh, it's a chemical or additive. And uh, unless you're a food scientist, you're not going to be very, very familiar with it. So Despite the the Guomindang's kind of so-so job of advocating for their own cause, 
some of the issues might might still favor them. And of course, Ross, today's United Daily News led with a story on the front page saying, once upon a time, the referendum outcome was pretty much in favor of the KMT. But the United Daily News did stress that the DPP has done a very good job of putting its point across in well, recent weeks. Well, again, as I was saying, I mean, they're when they're up there on the podium, um, they're, they're, they're better at that. Uh, it would be better for them if they had 10,000 or 25,000 people, not 3,000 uh, people. Uh, they also have a, a better internet operation. Um, when we see that uh, you know, with their reach on, on social media, and the DPP has done a, a great job of that uh, ever since the campaign for, for the January 2016 election. And they did it again during 2019 election period and for voting on, in January 2020. Uh, so they have that that capability, which the Guomindang is 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 somewhat inferior. Then also there there's the issue of the, the Guomindang. Uh, yeah, there's been some people, uh, elected officials or other personalities connected to the Guomindang, who've at times shown lack of enthusiasm for what were what are the Gomindang's positions. And sometimes it seems like the Gomindang is more enthusiastic about some of the referendums uh, than some of the others, which might also have, have had an effect on those public polling numbers that, that you cited. So you know, there was a, a few days within recent week where it seemed that the Gomindang was going in the direction of saying, uh, well, we, we really support two of them and we only sort of don't really, uh, yeah, the other two. Uh, so, so they're kind of meandering, which, uh, again, it may hurt the, the public polling. And of course, in Kaohsiung, Michael, there's, there's more KMT city councillors than DPP city councillors. So they, they obviously, maybe they're thinking they've got the vote anyway. Uh, that's true. Um, I'm not sure how that is uh, going for them right now. I've seen a lot of billboards up uh, regarding the referendum, but for the most part, all of them have been uh, from the from the green side. Um, I've, I have yet actually to see uh, much um, campaigning or anything from the from the uh, uh, Guomindang. But Ross's point about passion was uh, is interesting because uh, when the Susan Tsang, the premier, came down on that weekend, he had a separate event after the the big rally and. And it was uh, pretty well attended, and there was quite a bit of an enthusiasm there. But there was one guy who interrupted the proceedings, uh, screaming and yelling. And he, he was a relatively young man, and his uh, screaming fit was related to the, the pork issue. So it really does seem that that's the one issue out of all of them. I mean, probably the second one would be the, the power plant. But the pork one seems to be the one that is driving the most emotions. Although a couple of people that I talked to have uh, made the observation that I don't think a whole bunch of people are making that, you know, both parties have been kind of on both sides of this issue, depending on who's in power and what meat it is. You know, I'm a vegetarian, so I don't have a pig in this fight, but there's been ractopamine beef, ractopamine pork, and depending on, on who's in the, the presidential palace, you've either been in favor or not in favor, depending on, you know, whatever. So it's a bit hypocritical, but uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's what's going on here. And what about the energy one in Kaohsiung, the nuclear power plant, which of course is in New Taipei, so a long way away from <laughs> residents of Kaohsiung? Yeah, we've had several marches in the past, uh, several years anti-atomic uh, power, and because there is a greater green base down here, I'm going to go ahead and uh, assume that the polls are correct, that uh, more people down here are going to vote uh, uh, the DPP's line with that one. These are national issues, though, right? So uh, it's interesting that there might be some regional variation. But uh, if you think nuclear 
is unsafe, then it doesn't matter where you are. You're not going to be safe anywhere in Taiwan if there's an accident. Let's be, let's be realistic. Um, but if you think uh, Taiwan's energy security requires nuclear power, then um, you know, it doesn't matter where you live. Uh, you should vote vote to uh, restart the fourth nuclear power plant. Same with pork. Right? It doesn't matter where you live in Taiwan. If you think the pork is unsafe to eat, then you're going to vote for the referendum. Um, and the other ones are, are similar as well. Uh, yeah, the, I don't think people are, I hope that people uh, aren't paying attention to the LNG terminal uh, referendum simply because they might live nearby. I would hope, hope informed voters would, would consider that similar to the, the nuclear referendum as a national issue because it goes to Taiwan's energy security and and the same with the the uh, uh referendum on on election day or separating them <laughs> referendum uh, that's obviously also a national issue as well because it it's uh, disrupts the the entire country if you're going to have referendums on separate dates from election day you could see where i stand on that one i, I think it's fine to have referendums on elections election days uh, i think we should have more confidence in the voting officials at the at the central government or local government level that they could handle this better the next time uh but uh yeah, I mean, if if the DPP could run up the vote in in places where they they have a disproportionate amount of voters and get out the vote um, in in places like southern Taiwan, then obviously it'll it'll help them uh, de- defeat the referendums. And moving on now to Istanbul, where Interpol's 194 member states were meeting this week for the Global Police Body's 89th General Assembly. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs was quick to announce that 570 lawmakers from more than 30 countries have been expressing their support for Taiwan's meaningful participation in the global policing body. Now, Ministry spokeswoman Joanne O oh told reporters that Taiwan has been receiving support from its participation from lawmakers and parliamentary committee members from countries including the United States, Germany, Japan, France, Canada, Australia, Italy, the Netherlands, etc., etc. Now, Criminal Investigation Bureau Commissioner Huang Jia Lu wrote to Interpol's chairman, Kim Jong-young, in September, requesting that Taiwan be invited to participate as an observer. And in an article published in the UK's Guardian this week, he stressed that Taiwan's expertise will benefit global efforts to build a safer cyberspace as cybercrimes transcend borders. And he went on to say that no police agency or country should be excluded from Interpol. So, Rob, Interpol, talk of Taiwan joining Interpol. Of course, there's been whoa, t- whoa, talk, whoa. Of, talk of Taiwan joining because apparently 71 US representatives signed a, a letter earlier this month urging the Biden administration to assist Taiwan's bid to join the policing body. They're, they're not going to join, n- Gavin. Nothing right? came of that one, did it? Well, they're not going to join, right? It's only about being an observer or having some kind of substantive participation. So. You know, we have to be careful about uh, the the wording and what what the U.S. is even asking for, right? The, and the other countries, it, it's just like the WHA and WHO, right? Where these other countries are saying Taiwan should have some some level of substantive participation, but but they're not they're not insisting that Taiwan become a full member because they know it's it's not going to happen, right? That's just not realistic. But I'll I'll take the same position that I consistently take. With with regard to the WHA, WHO, who needs them? You know, Taiwan is is able to communicate uh, directly with uh, uh, its its important partners, whether that's the U.S. or uh, Australia, Japan, uh, certain other countries in Western Europe. 
Um, and, and Taiwan's uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the overseas representative offices, uh, this is part of their job is to ensure smooth communication, uh, or sometimes it involves the Ministry of the Interior and, and the police agencies they're under, or the Ministry of Justice. Um, and uh, these agencies also have liaison officers posted in some cases to Taiwan's representative offices. The Interpol, just like the WHO, is compromised in so many ways, a uh, history of uh, wasting money, bureaucracy, China's uh, outsized influence in these organizations. So stop begging for it. And if you need to cooperate um, on cross-border crime, then uh, look to do it on a bilateral or, or a multilateral issue with other country or multilateral basis with other countries. Um, you know, there's the different frameworks and other types of platforms that Taiwan and the U.S. and other countries have. So, uh, you know, I, I would say stop begging. You know, my view is has always been on this. You know, why, why are you begging to join a club that doesn't want you as a member? As uh, the Marx so famously said, uh, I believe that was Groucho, though, not, not uh, Carl. Well, um, I, I take a slightly different view. I'm, I'm interested if Ross happens to know what name the uh, Republic of China or Taiwan is trying to join Interpol under. Uh, if it's the Republic of China or Taiwan, then obviously this is a non-starter. But um, from what I understand, Taiwan hopes to be granted access to this I-24-7 uh, secure global communication police system that they have, and that's one of the biggest reasons for doing so. So every so often, at least down here, we get uh, stories about some, you know, I don't know, pedophile or some other criminal that's managed to sneak into Taiwan and they didn't know about it because they didn't have the international warrant on the person and they catch him and they deport him or whatever. So I can see why it would be nice to uh, be a part of Interpol. And if they are serious about it, then I would say that, you know, you, you, you go ahead and, and apply under the name of, you know, I don't know, something like Chinese Taipei or the separate customs area. It doesn't really matter because if your goal is policing, this is not really uh, uh, the same as a UN bid or something like that. So I'm, I'm not sure how they're under what name or how they're trying to apply, but uh, that would be my recommendation. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. And welcome back to Taiwan this week. And law and order will stay the topic of the day here, as it was big news here in Taiwan domestically this week, following a string of recent public order and safety offences. Now, the offences included violent attacks against convenience store clerks in disputes over face mask mandates, one of which resulted in the stabbing to death of a clerk, several assaults with baseball bats, one of which left a student with serious injuries, and a suspected gang-related shooting that left one person dead. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen took to her Facebook page to call for improved public security and although noting that the incidents were unrelated, Tsai said that they are a major focus of government concern and her administration will continue to strengthen the public security mechanisms and she went on to say that anti-gang and organised crime related police operations will be stepped up, police will increase overnight patrols to better protect convenience store employees and the government will also take action to increase mental health facilities and 
basically people that help people with mental health problems. Now, the Cabinet then held a public safety meeting on Tuesday at the request of the President. And speaking after that meeting, Cabinet spokesman Law Bing Chung told reporters that Premier Su Jing Chung has issued a directive. Now, that directive stated that relevant government agencies should do more to address social order problems that have resulted in death and injury. The Ministry of the Interior and the Ministry of Economic Affairs have been asked to examine the possibility of establishing a direct reporting system between convenience stores and police units. The National Police Agency has been asked to update convenience store clerks about the use of its crime reporting mobile app and to increase patrols near such stores, while the Ministry of Education has been ordered to step up efforts to stop young people from joining gangs. So, Ross, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say this is a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, that and uh, how many times have we had this conversation over yeah, the really. past 30 years that there, there, there's a, a crime wave and, and I even hesitate to call it a crime wave. But usually what happens is there, 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 I would say coincidentally, there's a number of high profile crimes. Unfortunately, they, they, they do often involve a level of, of uh, you know, terrible violence, uh, uh, you know, horrible murder sometimes it involves young children in some of those incidents in, in recent years and every time that there's a bunch of these incidents that again i think coincidentally occur within a short period of time the authorities give us the the, the same response right they issue a directive solve all the crimes within a certain period of days uh, do more patrols more education uh, increase cooperation between and then they name in this case it's schools and, and convenience stores and local police so this is basically the the, the you know, to you to borrow that famous line from Casablanca round up the usual suspects or in this case round up twice the usual suspects uh, you know it's 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 so pathetic really uh, but but it just happens over and over it doesn't matter if it's a municipal government government or the central government, doesn't matter which political party is in power, but we just see politicians doing this over and over again. And who, who really thinks anything that you just described is going to make a difference? And again, I'm not saying that crime is, is rampant in Taiwan. I don't think anyone could, 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 could accurately or honestly make that claim. But again, just unfortunately, hap so happens that there was a, a number of high profile incidents involving uh, violence, in this case involving bats, so we baseball bats. So we get the Minister of the Interior saying that uh, police should make a record of, of baseball bats that, uh, that they see in cars when they stop cars for, uh, when they otherwise stop cars, you know, a traffic stop, for example. Uh, and then he had to walk that back and say, oh, no, I meant to, you know, if they see a bat in the car and the, the people in the car already had a record, right? They have a, a, a police criminal record. Uh, their gang members or their known gang members. Oh, then we should make a note of that. Uh, the, my girlfriend pointed out that uh, you know maybe people will just start keeping baseball gloves on in the car as well. So if they get stopped and the police ask, "Why do you have a bat?" You could say, "I'm on the way to baseball or softball practice." Uh, so we see the, these silly gestures. But I'll tell you, this first of all, this got nothing to do with not being an Interpol. Uh, and uh, I, I think ultimately the issue here is, and, and there's also been some incidents of this in in the recent year per, recent period year or so um there's still a, a a training and a cultural problem within the police agencies uh, there there's been corruption cases in in recent months uh sort of uh, you know the the, the classic kind of 
pay to play or, or you know, where, where police will give information to organized crime about upcoming raids, uh, police uh, uh, taking advantage of, of uh, office resources for their own benefit, things like that. And these things just kind of keep coming up. Um, you know, so uh, the police do need to do a better job. I, I agree with that. I, I think they do need to be higher profile. Uh, they, I'd like to see them walk around, get off their silly little scooters and, and, and you know, sitting in their cars with the lights flashing all the time when they're just on patrol, when they're not going to a, an emergency call. Uh, so, Gavin, you mentioned that you know, patrol more around convenience stores. Who hasn't noticed those little boxes outside of convenience stores where the police get off their scooter or they get out of their car and they make a notation that they patrolled there? Um, you know, it's just the kind of this is exactly the kind of fake you know, optics kind of stuff that, that is, is supposed to inspire confidence. Again, I'd rather see the police just walking around on foot. And frankly, um, I, I know this sounds mean to say, I think some of them need the exercise as well. So, of course, Michael, Ross was hinting at something we call community policing. Yeah, um, actually, I, I'm uh, in favor of the same thing, and I, I've, I've asked police officers why they keep their lights on in their car, and they tell me that it's to give the people a sense of safety, um, which is, you know, exactly just a, a stunt. And what we don't need are more law and order stunts. So in Kaohsiung, we had the mayor dispatch more police officers to uh, convenience stores in MRT stations and put it all over the news, so you've got cops walking in, and it's like, okay, I, I don't feel safe. In Taichung, you had a city council person come and drop a bunch of bats in front of the mayor as uh, in the questions uh, and answer section saying, you know, what is this, the city of bats or something like this. And we also, we, we aren't having a crime wave. We're having a, a, perhaps, you know, a, a string of incidents, as Ross uh, uh, alluded to, but there's there's some systemic things here that need to be addressed that, uh, again, it's been, you know, decades that we haven't talked about this. So the mental health thing, uh, the mask killings recently, and uh, the train police officer killing, these all appear to be related to the lack of mental health uh, facilities and uh, poor regulation of the of, of mental health systems that we have in Taiwan, but no real changes are being made. Then there's the problem of this culture of minor law-breaking, where you know, especially where I live, you, you're driving on the, the sidewalk with your scooter or you're disregarding this law or that law. Or, and that, you know, um, well, some people will disagree. It's the, the whole broken windows uh, theory that uh, former New York mayor Giuliani espoused, you know, getting the, getting the small things uh, correct so that people have more respect for the law in general. Then there's this impunity uh, for the rich and powerful that uh, you, you can see on the news every day, you know, a drunk driver smashing into a telephone pole and he's got some expensive car and it's, it, the, the fine that he's paying uh, for the, the offense is not really putting a dent in uh, his, his bank account or her bank account and it's, it's not really doing anything. Um, so when you put all these things together, it's just there's a lot of systemic changes that need to be made and uh, more law and order stunts are not the solution. And of course, Ross, the incident in Taichung with the students and the baseball bats, which involved a Maserati and a regular car, the police there let them go when there was obviously a very, very injured person in the road. This goes to the cultural issues in the police that, that we've been discussing, that there, there's a, a lack of you know, desire sometimes to, to prosecute what needs to be prosecuted. Uh, I, I thought Michael's point about not not 
you know, prosecuting the smaller things was was interesting. But 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 I I have a slightly different view on that because I'll give you an example. There was something in the news today that uh, there was uh, there was an incident in in the United States recently where where a, a musician at a show did something very vulgar on stage, and and a seventy year old man in in Taiwan uh, he for some reason thought it occurred in Taiwan. So he sent it in the line group of 10 people saying like, oh, this is so horrible that it happened in Taiwan. And the venue, which is uh, in Kaohsiung, where you know, he said, oh, this happened at the Wei Wuing, the, the mm-hmm. art center there. Uh, he was just wrong. And not, you know, who cares what his motivation was? He sent it to 10 people, a 70-year-old guy. Um, but, 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 but the venue has, they referred him to the police, right? They called the police to make a complaint. And now the police have referred his case to the prosecutors because he sent this to 10 people and, and, and you know, wrongly said it occurred in Taiwan and wrote something critical, like how could they allow this to happen in, in Taiwan? You know, what a waste of police resources. And now the prosecutors are gonna do an investigation because the police made a referral. Uh, so we, we do waste a lot of police resources on, on idiotic things. But then when it came to the incident that you referred to in Taichung, uh, you know, the police came to the, the scene. They sent the, the victim to the hospital and they, they told the perpetrators, OK, you know, leave your contact information. Uh, thank you for helping us with the investigation. We'll we'll get back to you. Now, of course, you know, now we're going through the show where where the, um, the the police officers involved, their supervisors have gotten demerits or been reassigned to other duties. Uh, but again, this goes to the uh, cultural problem in the police uh, uh, where, where it often seems they don't want to do the hard work. They'll do the, the easy work. Right? And even in that incident, you know, they're, they're, the police were defending themselves by saying, well, the, you know, the family, you know, we're waiting for the family of the victim you know, to press charges. Well, wait, the guy got you know, his head cracked open on the street. Why do you have to wait for the victim or, or the victim's family to press charges? You know, that should be a crime regardless of, or you, know, you should be you know, holding them and, and bringing the most serious charges or asking the prosecutors to bring the most serious charges, regardless of how the family feels. Yes. Um, when I was talking about uh, broken windows, I guess maybe that's a misleading uh, phrase. I'm not referring to vandalism or graffiti or stuff like this. I'm talking about actual criminal uh, acts that are just uh, dangerous uh, acts, uh, speeding, driving on the sidewalk, things like this. Um, and you're completely right. We waste time on things like you know, swearing at someone. That's enough to get you uh, a court date. Or a kid at a, at a bushy bun who didn't get the grade that he wanted. It's defamation. I mean, you go to court for, for this kind of stuff. So, yes, the, 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 the priorities are, are completely off in many cases. And, um, yes, Cops are uh, lazy in many cases, and, and people know this. But again, um, if you're rich and powerful, it does seem to be very helpful. And of course, Marco, there was talk this week of giving convenience store clerks pepper spray. Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess I'm okay with that. Uh, um, there was a case in Taipei not uh, a few days ago where somebody pulled out a baton or some sort of a, a retractable metal device to, to threaten another person, and he pulled out his pepper spray. And it was quite satisfying to watch the, uh, the aggressor get pepper sprayed. So, yeah, that was my feeling on that. Pepper spray. Pepper spray in your local convenience store. Uh, I, I have... No trouble with with people carrying pepper spray. Uh, I, I I've encouraged my girlfriend to carry pepper spray, uh, but uh, uh, I think uh, people need to be trained to use those things as well. So unless the police are, are going to give the convenience store clerks uh, proper training, then uh, there's obviously risk of 
Point abuse. and spray. <laughs> yeah, but but I'm, 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 actually, I really wanted to ask Michael when he sees these. Uh, you know, the police are going to they're going to patrol the convenience stores. Did they stand outside the convenience store and like like you know pump their fist in the air and say something like like stop crime, stop crime, stop crime? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yay, no, go, but go, they go. just made it very clear that they were there for the news cameras. Stopped and you know all uh, just a few degrees shy of doing the little two finger wave thing that you know you would you would do for a selfie, and that's it. You know they. They go in and say, if you have any problem, make sure to call us right away. Okay, thank you, sir. Anyway, before we go this week, because Ross really, really wanted to talk about it, because apparently he's a secret scrutinizer of tabloid tittle-tattle, local celebrity Barbie Shu, or Big S, as she's also known, and her Chinese restaurateur husband, Wang Xiaofei, officially announced their divorce on Monday of this week, stating that the decision was cordial and that they will be raising their two children together. The announcement was issued by proxy through the former couple's legal consul, but filed by both Wang and Shu. Now, Wong and Shu, Shu and Wong, whichever way you want to put it round there. They thanked their fans for their support and love and went on to ask the media and their fans to respect their decision and to give them space, so in order to prevent unnecessary attacks being directed at their families. Now, Shu met Wong in 2010 and famously got married to him after just four dates in over 20 days. However, in the years since their marriage, local media here has been full of tittle-tattle basically concerning their relationship issues. Now, she had previously claimed that, well, they were going to get divorced in June after Wong criticised Taiwan's coronavirus response in posts on Chinese social media, which, needless to say, raised some rather iry feelings here in Taiwan, and Wong later apologised for that. So, Ross, this interested you, this story. Tell me why. It didn't just interest me, eh? This has interested uh, fans of... of uh, uh... Mandarin language uh, culture. Uh, you know, she's she's played such a prominent role in uh, television, uh, music, as a TV host, along with her sister, uh, uh, Dishu. Uh, so they're 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 a celebrity couple. Uh, this has gotten an enormous amount of media attention. And there's also the very obvious political angle. Uh, they they got married in a time of more détente between the governments of Taiwan and China, a time when uh, investment even by Chinese companies. Was, in, was being encouraged by the Taiwan government. Uh, so uh, uh, Mr. Wong did invest. He's built a hotel in Taiwan. Uh, I think it's called the S Hotel for his wife. We'll see if they, they change the name or what happens there. Uh, uh, but uh, his, his posts on Weibo in, in recent months have become uh, somewhat more critical and direct. And in, 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 you know, he's made clear his views on Taiwan's status, or uh, I guess lack thereof, uh, which of course, as you said, is going to anger uh, fans. You know, in, in going back over many years, Taiwan celebrities who, who make money, frankly, in China, uh, whether it's music, movies, television, other, uh, just like the Taiwan corporate world, they, they've been somewhat immune from criticism. There, there's only been a small corner of the internet or talk shows that criticize uh, people from Taiwan who make a lot of money in China, um, you know, that could finally be changing a little bit slowly. Uh, so, you know, fans probably not happy about uh, one of Taiwan's major celebrities having a husband from China who's critical of, of uh, the political positions of a lot of people in Taiwan or critical of the government of Taiwan. Um, you know, that, that uh, was not going down well anymore. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the other interesting thing about this, though, is Historically, uh, to the extent she's had 
involvement or hinted about her political views. I don't think anyone would would accuse her uh, of being uh, pro independence or pro DPP either. Uh, but but we could see that even you know people who might be uh, say more like traditional Guomindang uh, kind of person voter, uh, they're, they're still. Um, there's a limit for them about what they're willing to tolerate from China as well, and it, it seems that this was one of the you know, one of the sparks for for their ultimate breakup, which is yes, it's played out over the last five six months because of uh, or allegedly because of some of the things he wrote on on Weibo. Uh, so you know, another interesting thing to watch coming out of this uh, because it doesn't just have an effect on them as a celebrity couple. Other other couples as well is divorce and 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 they have ch- young children. Is he is he still going to live here? Is he going to lose his status to to stay here? Will he want to stay here? Is he going to go back to China and then say like I insist that that I get some partial custody? Uh, and we don't know what the details of the written agreement are. Uh, but but he's going to say you know I, I want the kids to fly here every month or, or I want them in, in in Beijing for the summer, not in Taipei. Uh, and again, how that might play out. Uh, uh, even in the courts, for example, or in negotiations, that would be relevant for <laughs> lots of other couples as well. So, Michael, obviously Ross there was a big follower of that story. Did you follow it at all that much, or did you just vaguely look at it and go, oh, okay? Uh, I have a little comment on the on the celebrity couple itself, but as far as the, the China issue goes, it uh, we can see it with the celebrities. They've made it very clear in the past couple of years that uh, you make one misstep in China, like the Chinese government is saying, well, why, and the, their internet hordes are saying, if uh, you're making billions of dollars here, you need to toe the line. And it's beginning to be very clear that China's uh, you know, putting down the line of you cannot serve two masters. And this has happened with the Far East group and uh, in corporate situations and with celebrities. So I think this noose around people uh, in China, working in China, making money in China, and this may be unrelated to the topic exactly at hand, but the noose is tightening, and it used to be okay to be able to say things like, you know, friends of mine who go over there would say things like, oh, I'm not political, I don't vote, I'm not really following all of this. Now it seems that you need to take a stand, otherwise you, uh, you're just de facto green in a way. So this is going to probably cause a lot of people to do some uh, soul-searching and, and decide what's more important, you know, the bottom line from China or uh, um, their, their homeland. And that's all we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Ross Feingold. Have a good weekend. And on the telephone from Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Happy belated Thanksgiving because I know you follow American holidays, Gavin. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.